0: This is a special episode of The Stem Cell Podcast, ISSCR 2022, Day 2. Hey everybody, this is Dr. Daylon James and Dr. Arun Sharma. Welcome back to The Stem Cell Podcast, where we culture knowledge and stem cell research by talking to some of the brightest minds in the field. Today we're back with another special episode to discuss highlights from the ISSCR 2022 annual meeting taking place in Windy san francisco they say sunny but it's cold and windy in my opinion if you're at this meeting you know that and you should make sure to drop by the stem cell podcast booth in the exhibit hall to meet the team and win some prizes you can also chat with us about your research and find out about how you could be featured on a future episode of the podcast today we'll be discussing some of the most interesting research we've seen presented over the past 24 hours of the meeting so if you were in another session or weren't able to attend the meeting, we've got you covered. We're going to kick things off in just a minute before we get to that. Do you want to
1: upskill your research techniques and learn how to get the most out of your cell culture protocols? Visit stemcell.com on-demand-training to access free self-paced virtual training courses from Stem Cell Technologies. Let's get into it, shall we? Let's talk about Thursday, June 16th. We're gonna start off with plenary number three, which is actually led off by a nice recap from ISCR CEO, Keith Alm, talking about the big picture, talking about how ISCR membership has grown pretty tremendously. And now that they're they're at close to 5,000 members total worldwide in 75 different countries, certainly things took a bit of a dip during the pandemic and that's not surprising at all but it's really great to see that things have definitely recovered and in addition to that talking about some of the finances of isscr as well there seems like they have financial reserves they have uh they have the money to put on these events and uh, to keep the the great science flowing so that is definitely good to hear we do have to mention of course uh dr martin para gave a little Shout out to the Stem Cell Report, a phenomenal show. Uh, then we got back into the science, starting off with the one and only Doug Melton making designer pancreatic islets from stem cells. Dr. Melton, of course, has been at Harvard for decades and has made it his life's work to address diabetes, type 1 diabetes in particular, and figure out these cell based and stem cell based differentiation approaches transforming stem cells human stem cells into bona fide functional pancreatic islets and beta cells that can ultimately be used for transplantation and things are getting quite close actually of course most recently dr melton has taken a, a position at vertex vertex pharmaceuticals where you know i think his life's work is ultimately going to be realized they've he actually gave a little hint that there's going to be some data being dropped from vertex about this work about the long-term survival potentially of these stem cell derived beta cells into people you know clinical trial really into work Uh, that data is going to be dropped on saturday i believe so certainly stay tuned for that but he gave a great overview of his work you know using these stem cells to make islets and you know i think it's been established that these things are pretty bona fide the melton lab has done a tremendous amount of work refining these technologies and i think the next step and this is a a topic i think is going to come up a lot not only in this iscr but down the road for a variety of different cell products is making these stem cell derived islets and other cell products have immune protection immunocompatibility hypoimmune capability that's i think the really big next step here next we uh you know listen to fiona watt I'm talking about the role of Gata 6, which is actually a favorite transcription factor of mine, because Gata 6 has a variety of different applications and influences. It's actually involved in cardiac development and pancreatic development and skin differentiation, mammalian epidermal differentiation, and dedifferentiation. That's what Dr. Watt was talking about here. Moving on to Austin Smith from the University of Exeter in UK. Uh, Focusing on the pluripotency transition, recapping naive and primed states, these two different states that are found in both mouse and human pluripotent stem cells, certainly there's been a pursuit of the naive state in humans, and they talked a little bit more about the induction of trophectoderm from naive cells, the role of the hippo-yap pathway as well in this process, and finally, wrapping things up with Ruth Lehman, who's given the Anne McLaren Memorial Lecture, which is always a favorite lecture of ours, guiding germ cells towards immortality and really beautiful work in using Drosophila as a model of germ cell development and migration. So, again, just wanted to emphasize these plenaries, I think, are really for the trainees to help them get up to speed about the state of the art in the field, the state of the art in these uh, work that's being done in these top investigators labs throughout the world. So I think a great start to the day.
0: Yeah. I I loved, uh, whoever put together the schedule here, I think they, they knew what they were doing. These were like the OGs of not just stem cell research, but just developmental biology. This is so just basic, basic, the, the foundation of everything we do, um, cell developmental molecular biology and, you know, appropriate to the level of these these investigators esteem they had really zero Fs left to give Um, and that was i think uh that was shown by one thing that mountain said well i'd love doug mountain everybody should love him i think he remains the best ambassador uh, for bridging the highest level science with the human experience with his own uh, personal uh, familial experience with type one diabetes. So he, he can really drive home the message. I mean, it's not just about fundraising, he really gets it. And uh, I think him realizing and having the culmination of his work be realized, uh, at Vertex with him on board is really the best story in science right now. Um, but as I said, zero F's left, uh, he said at one time where he said he has this approach for generating these hypoimmune cells as Arun noted, I think that's the buzzword. this meeting is hypoimmune it seems to be what everyone's going after rightly um but he said i had to laugh and a few other people were with me he said yes i recognize that a lot of immunobiologists think this will never work and that does not put me off trying at all and i love (laughs) to hear that but i think it really um typified just the general uh energy at this meeting from all the investigators and and that is they're doing what they do best which is this this foundational science you know i saw the residue of all the work that they've been doing for 20 years, using these same nuts and bolts approaches. Some might say they're like old school or don't have the finesse of a single cell and all the organoids and imaging, but they're wrong. Because what they do is they integrate the old with the new. They integrate the best way to ask a question and to structure an experiment with the high tech. And and that's why they really are still at the top of their game year after year. Also, I think Austin Smith did a great job of deconstructing these pluripotency pathways and making it clear like how it works on the molecular level. And I think that's what's lost uh, to a lot of these trainees is they understand the toolkit, right? They know what reagents to add to make the cell self-renew. But Austin Smith really uh, took it apart and made me really understand what the ZAB was doing, for example, and, and, and what role each of these signaling pathways played in different, in the mouse and the human and how you could reconcile those phenomena. So I, I thought it was a, a really great intro to the meeting. And, you know, following from that, I was in the mood for old established investigators, not old, I don't wanna age the guy, but he ain't young. <laughs> um, but I, I, was, I was in the, in the flavor of a established investigators. So I started my concurrent track, uh, arun with george daly i don't know where you were but i started with george daly he gave a nice intro at the beginning of there the past present and moving toward the future of cell therapy generally speaking but um specifically you know his focus has been on hematopoietic stem cells but he talked about Shinya yamanaka and how that really kicked open the door and you know i i really admire him for emphasizing that point because some may not um remember but george daly was really uh just on the heels of Yamanaka trying to demonstrate the, that this this proof uh, in human and um, was I don't know that you'd say he was scooped because it wasn't originally his idea but he was in competition with Shinya so I think it takes a lot of grace to acknowledge um, the outsized role that 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 Yamanaka played in in changing the game for all of us uh, he talked about these EZH knockout cells and and generating democratizing—it's another buzzword—the uh, CAR T therapy that's tremendously expensive now by generating these hypoimmune uh, hematopoietic progenitor cells and T cells from them. Um, after that, you know, it's funny—we had uh, Amanda Clark and Keith Alm and Melissa Little all on the show together. And after the show, I, I was hazing, uh, talked to Clark a little bit about how reproductive medicine, reproductive biology gets no run in the ISSCR. And I wanted to change that. And, uh, you know, I, I thought she was thinking of my research, but I, I guess uh, not exactly. But she did address it. There were three stories in a row that really focused on repro. So I had to go there. The gravity of uh, reproductive biology for me, Arun, being so great, I, I, I took three sessions straight there. Um, listening to Gal Kashet from the Benvenisti Lab, he was talking about these uniparental, uh, you know, it's the androgenetic, not parthenogenetic uh, um, ES cells, and how they could generate granulosa cells. I thought that was an interesting uh, uh, story that that was told there. Um, there was also the story about the s Esshahani. I'm sorry about that for the mispronunciation, but this was a really great idea. I thought about uh, generating PGC-like cells, differentiating these PGC-like cells where else, but in an amniotic or amniogenic type niche um, where they're born. They're born in this amniotic uh, cell niche. And so uh, a reasonable idea there to to show that those that that niche in vitro would foster the PGCLC differentiation better, so that was a really nice story for another student, who I think had a, a travel award. Um, and then I listened also to uh, Nina Menhaut, who's from Leuven, Belgium. We all know uh, that's where Nicholas Rivron does his work, and she was talking about modeling embryo implantation using these endometrial organoids um which is familiar because uh group showed this kind of pseudo implantation into endometrial organoids but she went a little bit deeper talking about specifically that process and those endometrial organoids and cells and then showed uh borrowing the blastoids from revan that they would undergo this implantation type phenotype so that was uh really exciting then uh, i caught a talk that was Kind of a follow-up from uh, Doug Melton's talk earlier uh, from Elad Sintov who, who was in Melton's group also a travel award winner who elaborated on the genetic screen that um, Melton talked about earlier when he was giving zero f's uh, he talked about uh Elad did about that that uh, screen talking about what drives the immunogenicity and this is a little bit kind of outside the box thinking which i guess is why immunobiologists really wouldn't necessarily be on board it but i love the idea um, that you know you don't have to think about strictly speaking in terms of you know the the dogmatic I- immune uh, paradigm there, but just thinking more in terms of how you could dampen it, how you could obviate that immune response and protect the cells. So I enjoyed that. Then I quickly caught uh, Tobias Deuce from UCSF who was talking about again, hypoimmune cells. And in this case, I thought it was a really nice explanation of how there's this tripartite immune response. And while we can address adaptive immunity and innate immunity, the antibody response is still critical. He talked about his methods for this FC snatch mechanism that he uses for shutting down that antibody response using a truncated CD64. And this was just, again, with all the talks about how we're uh, uh, making these hyperimmune cells, how um, stem cell biologists, not myself, are making these hyperimmune cells, it really inspires a lot of confidence in, in this idea that we're going to have an off-the-shelf product. So I was really um, impressed with that. And finally, uh, I caught Sally Temples. I, taught, I caught a Kapil Bardi's talk yesterday, which was really exciting. Uh, Sally's talk was, I think, kind of on the flip side of that um, because it's using autologous, uh, well, not autologous, but adult uh, retinal pigmented epithelium while Kapil had so much to say about the QC and the amazing rigor with which they're generating these RPE cells from human pluripotent stem cells, IPS cells, um, Sally's talk was talking, it was, it was a throwback, right? It was um, talking about the, the, the scale and all the work that needed to be done in order to get adult RPE to work, which is also really close to clinical application and maybe, and maybe in some cases seems like a more practical Uh, approach, there's a 100,000 eyes donated a year uh, for corneal transplant, the RPE gets thrown away. Um, And each one of those donors, you can get a 100 doses per donor. So there's a a virtually unlimited amount of RPE that we can use, it's just sitting there. And while it seems simple as a principle, uh, Dr. Temple's group uh, had to do a tremendous amount just to prove this, you know, how do they assay whether or not it's improving rodent vision? what is the right cell at the right stage to inject what governs the efficacy mechanistically molecularly of of these cells so there's so many questions that she's answered and rune and i had a conversation with her quickly before uh she had her talk and she's just such a charming individual i, I was very gratified to hear not just that she's got uh, her cells in patients in trial but just to hear her enthusiasm about it you know she lit up i mean it's just it's so great i couldn't be happier for for her for really realizing her uh career's ambition and just to see the her beaming at it it's like looking at a kid on christmas so i was really glad to to see that talk and really gratified by her success arun what, what did you check out in those sessions
1: yeah i checked out a few different subsections in those breakout sessions but i yeah i didn't want to actually follow up on your comments about dr temple it was very clear and i actually had never met her in person before it was very clear and very evident to me that she was so passionate so excited about the work that she she does really she just lit up when she was talking about her successes very really cool to see and we actually had the great opportunity in the exhibit hall when we were downstairs here at the Moscone Center. Um, we ran into a, a few familiar faces in the exhibit hall. We ran into, of course, Dr. Samira Musa, who was on the show not too long ago. Our, our, you know, uh, friend at Duke University. Go Blue Devils. Go Blue Devils. Go Blue Devils. She's, of course, working on all things kidney, and her bioengineering expertise is integrating organ-on-chip technology with uh, kidney biology. So it was really great to, to catch up with her in person for the first time ever, if you can believe it. We also briefly ran into Sheila Chari on the, the uh, sidewalk outside, and we can't wait to, to chat with her a little bit more about what they've got in store over there at Cell Stem Cell. So it's always good to see things and people in person, uh, especially after the last few years. When it came to the breakouts, I did have to start things off with my guy, Dr. Joe Wu, who is certainly my, uh, my PhD advisor over at Stanford. So he's talking about his favorite thing, which is using stem cells and uh, genomics for precision medicine with a strong focus, as always, on the cardiomyocyte, IPS-derived cardiovascular cells. Not just cardiomyocytes, actually. You know, we're also talking about endothelial cells and how these different cell types could be used for various... Uh, clinical trial in a dish quote unquote technologies and approaches that he likes to talk about all the time, and I think these things are really getting close and his ultimate dream is slowly becoming realized and using a variety of different IPS lines cardiac IPS lines from cardiac patients to conduct these large-scale clinical trials in a dish where you can identify drugs that may be able to alter or improve cardiac function just by conducting high throughput screens on isolated cardiomyocytes or endothelial cells, you know, the the Stanford Cardiovascular Biobank has a huge compendium of patient-specific IPS lines from folks who have various cardiovascular disorders, over 1,500 IPS lines from, from heart patients that they have over there. It's a really tremendous resource. And then I shifted over to the, the new avatars of organogenesis section, where I was listening into to Sarah Howden from Murdoch Children's. Uh, looking at the genomic loci for gene engineering of pluripotent stem cells and the derivatives. There's a great talk on genetic manipulation, the power of CRISPR, and various safe harbor, harbor loci to make beautiful custom fluorescent reporters and other custom genetic IPS lines. As you might have figured out by now, I'm a sucker for pretty cells, okay? Pretty cells with endogenous tags, Glowing green cardiomyocytes. I'm all about that. So I love this talk. Moving on to Lukia Yangu, who I believe was from Christine Mummery's group, I think, you know, group or subgroup, looking at optogenetic reporters delivered as mRNA to facilitate repeatable action potential and calcium handling assessment in IPS cardiomyocytes. I had to give you know, I had to focus a little bit on the cardiac subsessions. You know, I'm a cardiac guy. I had to go listen to some cardiac talks. You know, I'm sorry. I apologize. But this was a really cool idea because they were using some non-integrating reporters, mRNA in particular, to study, uh, again, fluorescent readouts, uh, study different disease phenomenon like long QT syndrome, and also apply them towards optogenetic approaches. So these non-integrating fluorescent reporters that can be used to uh, assess cellular function in, in in a native context. And I think that's really powerful. Then I went to Miguel Ortiz Salazar's talk, looking at the a micro pattern differentiation system, showing that geometric constraint can fundamentally change the outcome of Wnt and FGF mediated differentiation. This is actually a, a theme that came up again and again in multiple sessions that I attended, the power of the niche in, in influencing differentiation, not just in vivo, but certainly in vitro as well and also the power of fluorescent microscopy. I just feel like every single talk that I've been to today has had some sort of beautiful imagery, all right, to really catch the public's attention, to really catch the eye. And, you know, a picture says a thousand words, as they always say, right? And I think fluorescent microscopy, and in particular, real-time fluorescent microscopy has achieved a level that was really unattainable just a few years ago i shifted over into the stem cell bioengineering and enhancing cell function section listened to elad Sintov and also tobias deuce like you, you had discussed i'm really excited by this idea of hypoimmune ips derivatives i think that is the the ultimate end game here you know you got to figure out We've figured out how, in, for the most part, how to make these cells. And then, for example, in Doug Melton's case, make bona fide versions of stem cell-derived beta cells, for example. And really, the next hurdle is to figure out the immunogenicity and figure out ways to get these cells to implant into the body in a way that does not elicit an immune response. And I think there's a million different ways you can approach this through, you know, shielding of some kind, through genome editing, but I think a lot of different, uh, you know, applications are waiting to 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 take hold here, and I think this is the, the answer for a lot of cell therapies down the road. Back into the avatars of organogenesis, wrapping things up with Valerie Weaver, who is uh, focusing more on the mechanics that are regulating H, human embryonic stem cell self-organization to specify mesoderm. And again, I thought this was a cool talk. As somebody who does a lot of mesoderm differentiation myself, you can actually enhance differentiation just by altering some states of mechanical stress and stiffness, which is something we have known over the years. But they had some really cool in vitro systems where they actually pattern their iPSCs and pluripotent stem cells into different shapes. And we're able to find that the cells in different, at, in, at the intersections of different shapes had a, a unique differentiation capacity. So for example, in a triangle, the, ce- the cells at the points of the triangle uh, actually had the most unique and best capacity to transform into brachiuri or T-positive mesoderm, which also ended up turning into the most robust cardiac cells as well. So that was a really cool intersection of bioengineering, mechanical biology, uh, and and again, fluorescent reporters, which have really been a beautiful, beautiful tool for us here in the field. And that's, you know, that was my general recap of the the breakouts for the day. There is another set of breakouts later in the evening. I did want to just emphasize a few points here, just kind of big picture points. Um, Definitely take advantage of social media if you're able to. If you can jump on the Twitter hashtag isscr 2022, everyone is posting there, especially the trainees who are inviting you to check out their posters in the various, you know, poster time slots. So definitely take a look on social media, see what's out there. And finally, we actually had a really unique opportunity today to chat with some trainees on the ground here at ISCR. We chatted with eight different people at various stages in their career, trainees from master's students all the way up to CEOs of biotech companies, actually. And they all gave us their unique perspective about you know, the meeting, what they loved, what they have thought about doing science during the pandemic, what they're hoping to uh, change for the future of the stem cell field. And I think across the board, the unifying theme was that these folks loved seeing each other in person. They loved to be here and actually have a face-on-face conversation, uh, belly-to-belly, as someone said. <laughs> uh, that is irreplaceable. And I think that I agree with that entirely. You know, Certainly there's pros and cons of in-person meetings, but I personally don't think there's a, a perfect replicate for the face-to-face conversation online. So I'm glad we're here in person.
0: It's great to be back Arun, it's great to see you again, my friend, and it's great yeah. to see all these people and talk to them. Uh, I just echo your uh, enthusiasm and emphasis that these trainees uh, need to get the attention that they've been missing over the last two years. And if you're listening to this straight off of the rack um, on Friday morning, there's still a chance for you guys to come into the media room, come by the booth anytime the exhibit halls open and you can sign up and talk to us for a 10-minute window. We'll get you on the show and get your thoughts. We really have enjoyed hearing, uh, I think, what has generally been echoed across the board, but also some really nice individual uh, insights and the fluency of, of these trainees. I mean, you wouldn't know uh, that they haven't been in the game for the last two years, because I guess they have, and they've, they've, uh, been continuing to build the foundation of this next generation of science and innovation. So that's been really great. Uh, we love you guys. I, I, for one, I'm talking about this late session, just to give you a little bit out of my crib notes, I'm going after senolytics and epidermis. This is my paraphrasing. I don't know if these are the titles senolytics and epidermis, then I'm hitting these I- IPS derived immune cells that, that help cognition. Got to check that out. We got a story looking at spatial coupling of organoids, a little pasca action there, although not by him. It's probably a fan. We got astrocytes for ALS. Come on. Got to see that hypoimmunogenic hepatocytes. There's that word again, hypoimmune. There'll be a lot for us to talk about the next time we record, guys. Uh, but until then that brings us to the end of day two at ISSCR 2022. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter at stem cell podcast to find out what we're up to at the meeting and visit us at the stem cell podcast booth on the exhibitor floor, where you can win some prizes and find out how you could be featured on a future episode of the podcast. I just alluded to that, um, but get there, talk to us, show your face. Let's get belly to belly. Check back here tomorrow for another episode recapping day three of the meeting. You'll hear us then.